It's Friday, October 20th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, creator of the Goosebumps series R.L. Stein discusses scary things, his inspirations, and sneaking past his mom to read horror comic books. Every Saturday morning, I'd go get a haircut. So I, I had less hair when I was a kid than I do now. <laughs> so I could go I could go read these comic books every Saturday, off to the barber shop. Before he visits the Fayetteville Public Library next week, R.L. Stein visits with us and bringing Dracula to the stage as ballet. He's quite scary. He's quite demanding. And um, he, uh, he has a, a definite, you know, sensuality to him. Plus Michael Tilly with a review of some of the week's news and a big haunted house list from Becca Martin-Brown. You get a hayride, a haunted float, a haunted house, and a terrifying trail. First, the news. The 2023 Northwest Arkansas Hybrid Rural Business Development Conference is October 27th in Fort Smith. It aims to provide small and emerging business owners with the innovative skills, tools, and contacts needed to create and grow their enterprises and better engage in job creation activities. More at 800-482-7641. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, October 20th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. Ozarks at Large, a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. Let's start off with a conversation with Michael Tilly about some of the news of the week. Michael, how are you doing this Friday? I'm doing well here in Fort Smith. Nice, cool weather. It's uh, it's my favorite time of the year. Well, I have to admit, it has been a lovely week. Michael is with Talk Business and Politics. All the things we talk about, you'll be able to read more about at talkbusiness.net. Let's start talking about a um, expansion and extension of a temporary moratorium on uh, housing construction near the Fort Smith Regional Airport. Why does this exist, and what does this latest chapter mean? Well, we um, this the existing moratorium was put in place in June of 2022, last summer, and it was to be prepared. This was during the process uh, when Fort Smith was still trying to be selected for this uh, pilot training center, Foreign Military Pilot Training Center at Ebbing Air National Guard Base, which is there at Fort Smith Regional Airport. Now, we all know that Fort Smith was eventually selected, and, and part of that selection included uh, environmental impact study, and part of that includes noise, noise abatement, that kind of thing. You know, if you're going to be in an area where it's going to be a problem and the Air Force, the federal government has measurements to determine what a problem is, you know, you can be called from the running. Fort Smith didn't want to do that, so they put this moratorium in it to show the Air Force, look, hey, we're willing to stop housing in this in these areas and it's really to the immediate east and west of the airport with some a little on the north and the south there are some caveats to the moratorium if you built a new and this is for new housing new residential if you built it with certain to certain what they called sound attenuation standards then uh, you could rebuild if you were had a house and it was destroyed by fire it could be rebuilt mm-hmm. as long as it met those sound standards well, you know, again, Fort Smith was named the center, received the center, I guess for further reasons to, pr- to protect and ensure that it's a success, the Fort Smith Board of Directors is asking for a slight expansion to the really kind of to the north and the south of the airfield. And to extend that, it was supposed to end at the end of this year, but to extend that until December 2025. And again, it has the same caveats that, you know, you can still build that you have to 
build with certain sound standards um, in the area. And there's already some construct. There was construction that was approved before the moratorium that's going up in the area. But it it's it's um, this extension and expansion. The board is set to vote on it, or not vote on it, but it's on the agenda for October 24th, this next Tuesday. So we'll see. Um, the housing sector developers were very um, accommodating on that first round, Kyle. That there was no pushback. But we'll see if there's any pushback on this one. Adding two years um, is significant. Yeah, and um, but still, a lot of the construction just naturally has been to the south and the east in the Chaffee Crossing area and then south toward Greenwood. So there, there has been, uh, and, and that's where a majority of the construction has been and, and would have been with or without a moratorium. But yeah, we'll see how the conversation goes. I, I suspect it's not going to be as um, smooth for this expansion and, and extension, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if it's approved. The Fort Smith Board of Directors historically through different iterations has been very amenable to um, working with the military and trying to accommodate the military in any way they can. Well, let's see how smoothly another proposal goes. This one from the Fort Smith (laughs) Parks and Recreation Department. They'd like to delay work on a dog park and some updated expanded trails at Chaffee Crossing so they can do upgrades at Creekmore Park Swimming Pool. Everyone on board? Yeah, probably, probably not. This is some good old King Solomon splitting the baby <laughs> stuff here. Um, so, because you have people that have been rightfully so waiting on improvements at Creekmore Park swimming pool for decades. I don't mean just they've been hoping for a few for decades to upgrade the the shower area, the changing rooms, the pool itself. Uh, just the whole thing is in long need. In fact, there was at one point an entire discussion about just bulldozing the whole thing and starting over. But so the enforcement parks and recreation department is proposing putting more of its money. They have what's called a capital improvement plan CIP and they presented their five year CIP to the board. And it included delaying work on some trails, delaying work on a dog park. And that's, I'll get to that in a second. And, and spending that money instead on getting these Creekmore park pool upgrades fixed, getting those upgrades completed in a more expedited manner. Now, there will be some pushback. In fact, City Director LaVon Morton, he's already kind of raising a little bit of hell about the price. There apparently is a $4 million price tag on some bathroom showers and changing areas that he thinks is a little too much. So he's wanting a second look at that. He's also voiced in the study session that he's against delaying the trails at Chaffee Crossing because you know, there have been some promises made both on the, the trails and on the dog park. And on the dog park, these dog people are not folks you want to screw around with. Um, <laughs> you know, the dog park was, it was a very nice, very large dog park. It was at the end of the Fort Smith Regional Airport. Well, when Ebbing uh, was considered for this pilot training center, which we just talked about, part of that, they had to get rid of the dog park because they had to extend the runway and extend the taxiway for um, to, to meet the requirements for this for military pilot training center. And so the city promised we're going to build a better and larger dog park at some point in the near future. And there are a couple other smaller parks and there's a park at a dog park at Chaffee crossing, but it's, it's not even an acre and a half. Whereas the um, park um, that, that was closed was significantly more. And there's, and there's a proposal for a dog park at a Chaffee crossing, but uh, and that, that was supposed to open this summer, and that's a 24-acre park. 
So the, t- the talk about that's the talk is delaying that part. I'm trying to get to the point here. So we'll see. This is also going to come up for discussion uh, either October 24th. I don't have that agenda in front of me or in a future meeting, but I suspect that there's going to be some pushback and some not some happy pushback. Everyone wants to get the Creekmore Park pool fixed. It, again, it's been decades in the making, uh, but pushing back trails in, in this dog park, which are very popular. I mean, I don't have to tell you in Northwest Arkansas how popular trails are. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how this plays out. It it it, it will play out smooth. You know, I have just removed uh, Parks and Rec director off my dream jobs. By the way, <laughs> I don't want that one. Uh, it's good on the days ribbon cutting for yes. trails, but. Uh, yeah, it can be hard otherwise. Yes. We know that on the other side of the state, there is some concern about the low levels of the Mississippi and barges being able to get to through, get through. On our side of the state, on the, on, the, on the western side, the Arkansas River sees a lot of um, traffic. What have we seen in late summer and early fall? Well, through the first, um, through the first nine months of the year, Arkansas River traffic is uh, almost 9.3 million tons, and that's up 12% from the same period last year. And last year was a pretty healthy year in terms of traffic also. But we are, the the low levels on the Mississippi River will impact Arkansas traffic. It obviously won't hurt uh, internal shipments. It, and we're already seeing some declines. For example, in August, there was an 8.4% decline in tonnage on the Arkansas River. In September, there was a 12.2% decline uh, on the river. So those low water levels are hurting. The core is in the process. The Montgomery Lock, uh, Montgomery Point um, Lock and Dam is where essentially Arkansas River uh, and the Mississippi River uh, come into contact. And so there are issues there with getting barges through. The water levels are too low on the Mississippi side. So that's got to be addressed either through rainfall or dredging. And the Corps of Engineers is pretty powerful, but I don't think they can make it rain. We talked to Marty Shell. He's president of Van Buren Base 5 Rivers Distribution. There's they have a pretty significant port operation there in Van Buren. And he also operates the Port of Fort Smith. He's very optimistic. He says tonnage has been pretty strong year to date. He still he thinks they'll end the fourth quarter still in the positive in terms of tonnage. And so, you know, he he is um, he's a river rat through and through. And so I'm going to trust his judgment on it. These numbers are still pretty healthy. I mean, tonnage uh, in, in 2022 is over 11 million tons. And that was up almost 3% compared to 2021. So, to be 12% up through the year shows a lot of activity. And I'll close with saying that I still think people under um, maybe you're kind of don't value the river traffic enough because the goods shipped on the river, that's just the foundational part of the economy. You know, sand, gravel, rock, chemical fertilizers, iron, steel, minerals and building materials, ag- agricultural products. Those um, are heavy users on the Arkansas River. You can read more about that and everything we've talked about at talkbusiness.net. Michael, as always, thank you for your time. You're welcome, sir. I see we have an audio problem. That raspy voice knows something about audio. It's Keith Richards. He tells us why the Rolling Stones will never stop. This is what we do. This is what we love. I gotta see this Rolling Stones through. Hackney Diamonds, the Stones' 26th studio album, on Weekend Edition Saturday from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon and Keith Richards, tomorrow morning from 7 until 9. This is Ozarks at Large. 
I'm Kyle Kellams. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is signing an executive order banning the use of phrases she says are woke nonsense in state government literature. Those include words like pregnant people, laboring person, birth giver, and several other nonsense terms that have cropped up in recent years. At a public ceremony for the signing of the executive order yesterday, the governor said people on the political left are becoming angry because conservatives are starting to, as she says, fight back. The governor says conservatives are, quote, just getting started. When asked to provide specific examples of government documents using the now prohibited language, Governor Sanders says she's only seen one specific example from the state health department. The governor's executive order also bans the terms human milk, menstruating person, and chest feeding in favor of using gender language. The governor signed a similar executive order banning the use of the word Latinx shortly after becoming governor earlier this year. The Sam M. Walton College of Business and the Arkansas Hall of Business Hall of Fame are announcing the Hall's class for 2024. Inductees include Gary C. George, the chairman of George's Inc. in Springdale. Other inductees include John L. Connor Jr., the president of Newport-based Holden Connor Farms, Eric Jackson, the senior vice president of Oaklawn and Hot Springs, and Drew C. Thompson, owner of U.S. Irrigation, located in Stuttgart. A formal induction ceremony will take place at the Statehouse Convention Center in Little Rock in February. The Arkansas Business Hall of Fame is located in the atrium of the Donald W. Reynolds Center for Enterprise Development at the Walton College in Fayetteville. Arkansas's capital city is different today, sort of. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is launching a new program called Capital for a Day that will ceremonially shift the seat of government from Little Rock. Mina in Polk County is the first such designated capital for a day today. The governor's office says the program is designed to bring senior state government officials to different towns across the state to meet with their local counterparts. Two projects by faculty members of the University of Arkansas's Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design are currently on display at the European Cultural Center's Biennial Architecture Exhibition Time, Space, Existence in Venice, Italy. Professor and department head John Folland's negotiation room and assistant professor Brian Holland's piggybacking practices will be on display in Venice until November 26. These projects are the most recent examples of the school's participation in exhibitions at the Venice Biennale since 2012. The Momentary in Bentonville recently announced its indoor concert lineup for the winter season, which will take place at the venue's Roadhouse stage. The group includes artists from a wide variety of genres like country, hip-hop, and jazz. These indoor concerts will begin with electronic producer Rossi on December 16th and continue through early May, finishing with Los Angeles-based Chicano Batman. Rising indie group Soccer Mommy and country guitarist Junior Brown are also among the upcoming season's indoor performances. You can find out more information at themomentary.org. The ninth-ranked Razorback soccer team is now 6-1-1 in SEC play after last night's 1-1 draw against LSU and Baton Rouge. Up next, the Razorbacks will host Mississippi Sunday afternoon at 2 in Fayetteville. And the Razorback volleyball team is ranked in the top 10 for the first time in program history, placed at number 10 in the latest national poll. Tonight, the Razorbacks are at number 12, Tennessee, then will play number 20, Kentucky, in Lexington on Sunday afternoon. Arkansas goes into this weekend as the only SEC team undefeated in league play. Tupac Shakur was murdered almost three decades ago, but he has remained a cultural force ever since. He is forever frozen as this really handsome, charismatic, revolutionary type of figure. I'm Brittany Luce. 
And as a suspect goes on trial for the rapper's murder, we're getting into Tupac's legacy. On the next, it's been a minute from NPR. It's been a minute tomorrow morning, beginning at 10. R.L. Stein's readership stretches across generations and countries. His series of books, first Fear Street and then Goosebumps, have sold an estimated 480 million copies, at least in more than 35 different languages. And he's beloved, often serving as a guide for young readers into the world of books. R.L. Stein will be at the Fayetteville Public Library Thursday night. It will serve as the conclusion to this year's True Lit Fest. I reached him yesterday by Zoom and asked him about a notable endeavor of his before he launched the Fear Street and Goosebumps series. It was a humor magazine, many of us remember, called Bananas, published by Scholastic Books. His byline then was jovial Bob Stein. Hey, that was my life's dream, to have my own humor magazine. I did it for 10 years. Yeah. And then when it was over, I thought I would just coast the rest of my life. How'd that work out? <laughs> and and I, did, I had no idea what was happening. What Bananas did for me when I was 12, 13, 14 years old was I didn't think it was, I didn't consciously think about the people who wrote it, what their age was, because it just connected with me. And I uh-huh. think that's something that happened with Goosebumps as well, is what younger people have told me, that there was just this instant connection, no sort of writing down to us. You got us. Yeah, well, I actually like kids. <laughs> Not a lot, you know, a lot of children's authors don't like kids. But I actually do. You know, I have a kid. I have grandkids. I actually like kids. <laughs> and it's, But that is sort of my trick is just, you know, being able to speak to them. It's partly because, you know, I don't try to teach them anything. <laughs> they don't learn anything in Goosebumps. There, you learn nothing. Maybe you learn to run. But we're entertained. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. You know, there used to be a rule in children's publishing that in every book, the characters had to learn and grow. I always said, and I always thought, why? Why do they have to learn and grow? Because, yeah, you know, like adults are allowed to read all kinds of trash, right? Adults can read anything. We don't, we don't read stuff where people have to learn and grow. Why should kids have to read that? Yeah. And so I, with Goosebumps, I, I want them to be just entertainment. There are no morals to learn. There's nothing inspiring about them. They're just entertainment to read. And show you, you can go away from your iPad screen. You can go away from your computer and pick up a book and be just as entertained. And they're not, you know, the books aren't challenging at all. There's no hard vocabulary words. The chapters are short. They're easy to read. When when I was a kid, I also loved, you know, uh, I would get reprints of creepy and eerie magazines from EC Comics. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. And and I it started a love affair for me for for things that were scary. And you say that was the same for you? Yeah, I'm older than you. I remember when I was a kid, there was Tales from the Crypt and the Vault of Horror and the Witch's Cauldron, all those great old EC horror comics. They were very influential on me. I loved them when I was a kid. They all had such gruesome, horrible stories. And then every story had a funny twist ending. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, of course, you'll remember those were controversial. We had congressional hearings and the needed yeah, a comics course. code. 
you know, there are a lot of people don't like kids and they want to take things away from kids all the time. And that's what happens. Oh, the kids like those comics, take them away from. Them. Oh, they're, they're video games, they're too violent, take away their games. Oh, take away their music. People always want to punish kids, you know, for being kids. Because they think they know better. Because they're jealous. <laughs> Right? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But it sounds like you and I had similar parents in that they weren't that way. I remember my mom would have a Harold Robbins novel, and if she she had no problem with me picking up, you know, famous monsters of Filmland as a magazine. Oh no, my mother was not like that. Oh. I one day I bought two copies of uh, Tales from the Crypt, and she stopped me at the door and she said, "I'm sorry, you can't have these." You can't bring them in the house. They're trash. Mm. See, my mother was not like that. I had to go to the barber shop to read them. They had a big stack of them. And this is true, Kyle. Every Saturday morning, I'd go get a haircut. So I, I had less hair when I was a kid than I do now. <laughs> so I could go I could go read these comic books every Saturday off to the barber shop. <laughs> well, don't you imagine there were young readers whose parents said no to goosebumps and they would have to do no, I similar. Hear from them. Yeah? I hear from them. You know? And then I hear from a lot of kids who had to like sneak them. They would read them late at night under the covers with a flashlight. You know, they'd have to sneak them. <laughs> there was trouble, you know, in the beginning when Goosebumps first came out back in the 90s, nobody had ever done a horror series for 7 to 11-year-olds before. So there was controversy about it. And, of course, the covers were much scarier than the books. <laughs> right. So that caused, that caused a lot of trouble, too. When when I, I've read that it was pitched to you because you'd had such success with young adult novels that, okay, Fear what Street. about— Yeah, yeah, Fear Street— Let's let's have you write for a younger age. Did you embrace that idea right away? No. I this this is the kind of businessman I am. I didn't want to do goosebumps. <laughs> Brilliant, right? I thought it would mess up the Fear Street audience, the older audience. I thought they would be upset that you know I was writing for younger kids. And I I was very reluctant. They kept after me and kept after me. They wanted to try the series. And I said, all right, finally. I said, let's try two or three of them. Now it's 31 years later. <laughs> and and did you have to think a little bit differently for the scares for a younger reader? Well, yeah. You know, we in Fear Street, we kill off teenagers every book. People love that. <laughs> they love it when you kill teenagers. <laughs> Why is that? Why do people enjoy that so much? You know, the three Fear Street movies on Netflix? Uh -huh. Like slasher films. <laughs> you know, teenagers getting slashed to pieces. They loved those. They were all number one movies on Netflix. They loved it. But, I, you know, I didn't want to do it. Seven to 11-year-olds, I'm not going to have people die in Goosebumps. Nobody ever dies in Goosebumps. I had to be, you know, I had to find um, this mix of horror and humor. I wanted it to be, you know, a lot funny, a lot funny. I, I, I needed to, if, if a scene would ever get too intense, I would throw in something funny and lighten it up. And that's pretty much what I do. You know, and I think back to the classic Universal horror movies, and they would have those elements too. 
Yes. Yes. That you need and to. And all the horror films, you know, I was a kid in the 50s. And uh, my I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, a suburb. And their little movie theater, every Saturday morning, would have a Tom and Jerry cartoon festival. And then they'd show a horror film. So I saw all the great horror films from back then. The, the Brain That Wouldn't Die, <laughs> Walks Among Us, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, all of them. And, and I, you just loved them. They were very influential as well. One thing those movies did, just, you know, and it's a wide range of quality, but one thing those successful ones did, no matter the budget, was establish a great atmosphere. you got to have this great atmosphere, right? Shadow. You know, black and white movies, all the universal films you were talking about, the shadows were as important as what was going on. Exactly. There's a new channel that Amazon has launched called the Universal Movie Channel, and I've been watching it. And there's I didn't a, know that. Yeah, they just started. Uh, it, it's part of this Freebie um, collection. Yeah, yeah, so it, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, it just started a couple weeks ago. And um, I was watching the other day. And there's this, uh, it was a 32 Universal, I think it was Universal, um, version of Island of Dr. Moreau called Island of Lost. That's my favorite horror film. Island of Lost Souls? Yeah. What are you saying? That's my favorite film. It is, you know, whatever, 80 years later, it's still chilling as can be. And part of it is that atmosphere. You know, when it came out in 1933... This is true. It was so terrifying to audiences that people threw up in their seats. Yes. That's how scary it was <laughs> to them. And it's still so creepy. All those mutant characters that Dr. Moreau creates. Charles Lawton is is brilliant. Yes. And Bella Lugosi is in it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it I is, can't believe you brought that up. Nobody ever mentions that movie except me. Oh, it's 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 frightening still now. Yes, I know. So, oh, well, this is great because I was watching this and just amazed at the atmosphere that was created. And do you think like that for the written word, you want to create the right atmosphere? Yeah, I do. I, but I want it to actually not to be real. At, I want it to be normal. Mm. Everything in Goosebumps has to be normal. It starts off, it doesn't take place in a castle in middle Europe. Every Goosebumps book takes place, in, sort of like Spielberg, in somebody's backyard. It starts off in the kitchen, in the backyard, so kids can relate to it right away. Yeah. So that's yeah. more important to me, to have it normal. The kids in Goosebumps are not special in any way. They're all normal kids facing these horrible monsters, facing these incredible dilemmas that they have to solve on their own because their parents are useless. <laughs> exactly. The parents are all useless. Either they don't believe the kid or they're not there. And I think that can be empowering as a young reader. Like, oh, at some yeah. point I've got to go out and i got to do this myself. Yeah, that's the whole, that's the only thing in Goosebumps that's, you know, the only moral lesson. You have to use your own wits and get yourself out of the jam. There must be ideas going on with you all the time. 
one idea at a time. One idea at a time. I always laugh about these authors, you know, and they give advice and they say, keep a notebook with you. And as soon as you have an idea, write it down. Keep a notebook full of ideas. You don't need a notebook full of ideas. You need one. <laughs> you need one idea. Then you write it. Then you get one more idea. I wouldn't keep a notebook of ideas. Especially now, right? Yeah. I've written every story a human can write. So I, I need one idea. But I do think, here's what, I think about titles all the time. I'm always looking, because every book I write starts with the title. I have to have the title first. And so and, and I'll hear something on the street, or I'll see something, I'll see a movie or something, and a title will pop into my head. That I try to remember. Gotcha. That that that's where I'm always. I don't really try to think of ideas. I just try to think of titles now. I love that. Um, we. I can tell you that it is going to be a packed house. So many people are anxious to be there. Thank you so much for some time, and I'm happy to meet somebody else that understands the magnificence of Island of Lost Souls. Me too. You're the first. That's so so great. <laughs> Well, well, we should have we should have lunch. I think so. Well, I will see yeah. you when you are here in Fayetteville, and thank you so oh, much. Nice. For you. All right. Nice. Thank you very much. All right. See you soon. All right. Bye bye. Take care, R. L. Stein, creator of the Fear Street and Goosebump series of books, talking with me yesterday via Zoom. He'll be at the Fayetteville Public Library Thursday night. This event is free. Seating is first come, first serve. Capacity a bit more than 600. You can get all the details about his visit and all of the other events connected to the True Lit Festival at faylib.org. This is Ozarks at Large. The Momentary in downtown Bentonville invites guests to discover the region's new home for art, food, and music. From immersive performances and exhibitions to live concerts, food and drinks, and more. There's always something new to experience at NWA's Creative Hub. Details and more at themomentary.org. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College. With the Tuition Advantage Scholarship, Admitted first-year students will pay no more in tuition at Hendricks than the published tuition and fees rate at their home state's public flagship university, hendricks.edu slash tuitionadvantage for more information. Now that we've made it to Friday, let's plan for what to do next to help us with that planning. Becca Martin-Brown, who is the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Happy Friday, Becca. I don't guess we can just say let's sleep all weekend and no. go away. No, nope. nope, cannot do that. Okay. Well, then the next plan is let's say hi to our Central Arkansas listeners first. Yes, all right. I like it. The Arkansas Symphony Orchestra performs John Williams' score in front of a big screen showing the movie Star Wars, A New Hope in Concert. 7.30 today, 7.30 tomorrow, and 3 o'clock Sunday at Robinson Center Performance Hall in Little Rock. Tickets start at $29. And members of the 501st Legion and the Rebel Legion will be in the Robinson lobby so you can get your picture taken with them. Now, as far as Northwest Arkansas and the River Valley, well, it's a toss-up. We could talk more about haunted stuff. We have a special Halloween edition of What's Up coming out Sunday in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. So let's talk about my other favorite thing this time of year. I'm going to guess craft fair. 
good guess. If you want to get a big bang for your buck, there's three craft fairs alongside War Eagle River at War Eagle Mill and War Eagle Farm. But there's always beautiful jewelry and great pottery, and there's also a show in Bella Vista that is picking up where the longtime Bella Vista Fall Arts and Crafts Festival left off. It's happening happening at Wishing Spring Gallery. So here's a quick list. Okay. War Eagle Fair, War Eagle Mill Arts and Crafts Fair, or Sharp Show at War Eagle, 8 to 5 today and tomorrow, 8 to 4 Sunday. Pumpkin Patch Craft Festival, 9 to 5 today and tomorrow, United Lutheran Church at the corner of Cooper Road and Forest Hills in Bella Vista. It's Fall Y'all Craft Fair, 9 to 6 today and Saturday, 9 to 3 Sunday at the Benton County Fairgrounds. The Wishing Spring Gallery Fall Festival is the love child of the Bella Vista Arts and Crafts Fair. If you say so. Nine to five today and Saturday. Well, it's the same organization of artists that started the Bella Vista Arts and Crafts Fair years ago. I got you. Ozark Regional Arts and Crafts Festival has two locations, one today and tomorrow only at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Springdale, and the Ozark Regional Arts and Crafts Fair at the Washington County Fairgrounds in Fayetteville is nine to six today and tomorrow. Haunted houses. I don't do haunted houses. I don't either. I don't do haunted houses. But you do you, and our listeners should do them. So here's a quick rundown. Banshee Manor Haunted Attraction, weekends and October 31st, Inside Locomotion in Fayetteville. And it tells you everything you need to know that their admission is $15 per soul. Elk River Haunted Float, this is a new one up in Pineville. You get a hayride, a haunted float, a haunted house, and a terrifying trail. Again, Friday and Saturday with a kid's day, October 29th, when it gets less scary. That's where you and I go. That's where I go. go. Yeah, absolutely. Nightmares Haunted House and Phantom Bus Ride on Frontage Road in Bentonville, which is actually just south of Walgreens in what we all call Bella Vista. And again, it's Friday and Saturday and Halloween night. Stage is a fear haunted house every night through October 31st in the Horse Arena at the Benton County Fairgrounds. The Asylum Haunted House weekends and then Halloween night in Cave Springs on Main Street. Farmhouse Fright, which is the 28th only at the Farmhouse Omicron Chapter at the University of Arkansas. Carpenter's Mortuary Spook House in Gentry. Warehouse of Fear in Asylum Springs. The Expelled in Huntsville, Good. The Haunted Prison and Trail of Terrors in Van Buren, Good and grief. the Asylum X Haunted House in Fort Smith. Wow. I had, n- I mean, I There's, knew they were popular, but I had no idea we had that many. We'll have the whole list Sunday in What's Up. And also this weekend, the kids at UAFS are doing A Doll's House at Breedlove Auditorium. Tickets are $10. Arts Live in Fayetteville is doing an original script by the extremely prolific Mark Landon Smith called Zombies vs. Ghosts Senior mm-hmm. Year Showdown. <laughs> 7 o'clock today, 2 and 7 tomorrow, 2 on Sunday. Theater Squared is doing the band's visit. What happens when a traveling band from Egypt lands in a tiny town in Israel? And Thriller Night at the Eureka Springs Coffee House. This is more of the River Valley Film Society. And they are screening three short films by Jason Pitt starting at 6 o'clock, followed by two Friday the 13th fan films starting at 8.30 at the Eureka Springs Coffee House, which is down under Main Street. 
seems kind of perfect. Right. And check out what's up on Sunday because it is the Halloween special edition. It's all Halloween all the time, except when it's all crafts fairs. Right, right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Pumpkins are the Venn diagram, right? They're the, they're the things that you can get at both craft fairs and haunted houses are pumpkins. Interesting thought. Yeah, well, But sometimes dressed very differently. Very differently. Becca Martin-Brown is the Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Will we talk any more Halloween next week? Because we'll be that much closer to Halloween. Or have we done it now? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, no, we're not anywhere near done. Oh. We're going to the Missouri State Penitentiary next weekend. Well... Okay. (laughs) I can't wait. Thank you, Becca. This is Ozarks at Large. Pity poor Jonathan Harker. New at the real estate game, he's been handed an important assignment. Convince a Transylvanian count that there is a perfect place waiting for him in London. Harker's client, of course, is Count Dracula. But it's Harker who gets the story going in Bram Stoker's novel, in many of the film adaptations of the novel, and in the new ballet, Dracula Here Now. That's a ballet presented by NWA Ballet Theater twice later this month. Stephen Wynn, the artistic director of NWA Ballet, says Jonathan Harker is a perfect character to bring the audience into the world of Count Dracula. He heads out there all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and comes against some things that um, pretty much drive him crazy in the next few weeks. How is that reflected on stage in Dracula here now? Yes, um, good question. These are always tricky ones, especially with ballet, because we don't have the words to to share those things. So, yeah, I I introduce the characters. So my the, the show opens up with introducing the count and the countess. I have a countess in my production. And um, so we know who they are. They introduce themselves and they're sort of, um, they have a little bit of a codependency relationship, the count and countess. After being around for so many centuries, Mm -hmm. one can't deny that, you know. Um, So, and then we introduce Jonathan and Mina as he's packing up to leave. Then he arrives with his suitcase there, and he's greeted by a character that I created called Spirit Dracula, who represents this sort of agelessness of this character. And um, Jonathan's pretty spooked out at that point. You know, he's he comes into this uh, into this dark castle, um, which we, you know present through lighting and projection. So I'm using some uh, black and white cuts from old Dracula movies that'll be projected onto the site to add the extra ambiance that this piece so desperately needs Mm -hmm. to get get the the full impact of, of what's happening. So yeah, so to answer your question, Jonathan then um, is, Falls, you know, he he holds his own and and tries to do his sales pitch, but at the same time, um, he has quite a few characters that are at his neck. Um, the the um, the the drac the the vampire women, the vampire women, um, and then the count Count Dracula, as well as Spirit Dracula. So he finds his way and um, gets tied up in, in, in quite a mess. 
And by the time the Count leaves and goes to London, he is left behind and ends up in, in sort of a hospital-slash-insane asylum and, and meets a nurse there. Oh. Yes. So he is, he, he is taken care of until Mina arrives. We often think of Dracula as sensual, as strong, mm-hmm. as commanding. Is that what we will see in Dracula here now? Yes, yes. So um, the the Dracula is uh, quite the character. He's uh, played by uh, one of my dancers, Seth, and um, there is a um, has a sort of a, a bare chested costume, but it has this this wonderful feather thing that happens and goes down like a lion's mane. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted to to make him a bit more animalistic, you know. So we we have this wonderful costume. The feathers go up and over the neck and into the face a little bit, and then down the chest. He's he's quite scary. He's quite demanding, and um, he uh, he has a, a definite you know sensuality to him, and um, he likes to he likes to touch. He likes to bite. And he likes to seduce. We know the name Dracula. Here, now, two more words in the title. Why? Well, um, it comes from it comes from the novel, so my interpretation of the novel, because the novel is is uh, is is you read the novel and it's a collection of letters and diaries and newspaper articles. So um, I wanted to to sort of get that. Um, impression of these different elements that are projecting and creating this story. So, um, so here now, um, because we're using um, multimedia, okay. So, it is um, it it is bringing in more than just the ballet. I have two vocalists who play Dr. Van Helsing and and Dr. Stewart. Um, and then I have an actor, um, Thatcher, who plays Spirit Dracula. So I wanted to bring in sort of all the modern elements of, of what one can do now in theater. So it, the ballet company is no longer just using ballet dancers, but we are using, you know, uh, film, we're using projection, we're using vocalists and actors and all come together to tell this story. And hence, these pieces sort of, in my mind, reflect how the book was written and, and you know, the different diaries and letters and newspaper clippings and things that way, in, in that of that nature. Was there a particular image or scene that you started with for this production? Like, this is going to be where I begin and we'll go from there? Um, not a particular scene, but um, how uh, the relationships in my mind, you know. So I felt like, um, you know, the re- the relationship, um, the count, you know. Um, I felt for a ballet, the count needed sort of a court, if you will, you know, the, the his his Dracula personality for the ballet needed this sort of right and left support. And hence, I, I decided to give him a countess and, and give him spirit Dracula. And it's also 
the spirit Dracula is is the one that brings this element of agelessness and and time to to the perspective um, of of you know counts life and and so I also want to you know when I talk to the dancers about it um, I sort of created this this sort of family picture for them you know that the count um, was also a victim at one time you know he was also bit by a vampire you know and um, and prior to that in my mind you know he was happily married you know and so there is this um, dysfunctional family because of because of the sense of you know, they became slave to to blood. They became slave to living forever. They became slave to to their fate. You know, um, so bringing all these different elements together to build the the count's relationship was is where I started with the piece, because he's the most prominent figure in the piece and and the one who carries the show as well as Mina. Mina's a very important. Um, role and a lot of times I choreograph from her perspective. Um, Jonathan, not so much because he's sort of the action guy, right. you know. And um, but I, I I bring in a lot of that um, uh, femininity from from Mina and her perspective and her courage and her passion. Stephen Wynn is the artistic director of NWA Ballet Theater. Dracula, Here Now, will be staged at The Odd in Eureka Springs a week from tonight. That's the 27th. Then at The Medium in downtown Springdale on Halloween night. You can find out much more at nwaballettheater.org. This is Ozarks at Large. One of the most anticipated films of 2023 is hitting theaters beginning today. Killers of the Flower Moon, filmed in Oklahoma and actually featuring some actors who live in northwest Arkansas. Courtney Lanning was anxious to see it, too. I should say eager, maybe a little anxious because of the three and a half hour running time. Courtney is with me. Courtney, you did see it last night, right? I did go to see this movie. Yes. And... I can report it is three and a half hours long. All right, let's start there because uh, it is Martin Scorsese who is regarded as one of the greatest living directors who is not unknown for long films. His last one that was on Netflix, The Irishman, I think, topped over three hours. Is the three and a half hour length, in your opinion, worth it? Let's hope we don't get protesters outside the KUF studio as I say this, but no, it was not worth it. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon was a slog for me. Mm-hmm. Everybody has rights to their own opinions. For me, this this felt like a slog. Uh, there's no way around it. This was three and a half hours of awkward pacing and bloat. Uh, this this movie needed an editor. Um, every every creator needs a good editor. Uh, needs someone to tell them no. Needs someone to say take this out. And I feel like you know maybe there are some directors out there. Maybe Scorsese's one of them. Um, who's just reached a point where they maybe they don't get told no anymore or they don't get edited as closely as they used to. Um, And it it shows in this product. It's based on the best-selling book of the same name, which, which so many of us read and, and were really liked. It's about a horrible 
uh, tenure in American history, the killing of Osage Indians for basically um, the rights to their wealth, you know, uh, what they own under the ground. I'm assuming the story stays true to the book. Um, It does. And, you know, before I say anything else about the movie, I got to give Scorsese credit for filming in Oklahoma, not just filming in Georgia or Virginia and calling it Oklahoma. Got to give him credit for bringing in indigenous actors and consultants and crew members. So he, he did a good job at, you know, paying tribute to the Osage tribe and making sure that it respected their culture and their beliefs and whatnot. Um, you call this a, a tragic story, and it is absolutely a horrific part of American history where uh, Osage families were murdered for their oil rights. But I feel like in, in a story about people being killed, entire families, shouldn't the story focus mostly on the victims? Shouldn't we get to know who they are, what they're like as a people, delve into their history? You would expect all of that respect to be given to the victims, right? Mm -hmm. The problem I have with this movie, perhaps the biggest problem, is that we spend 90% of the time with the killers themselves. And there's no benefit to it because we don't get into their psyche. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character states multiple times, I love money. I love money. I'm greedy. I love money. But that's that's basically all his character boils down to. Um, and Robert De Niro is in it as well. And you basically spend 90% of this picture watching them hire people to kill indigenous folks. Mm. And we don't get to spend hardly any time getting to know the indigenous folks getting murdered. So in my view, when you have these Osage tribal members that are dying in this movie, this three and a half hour movie, it seems like the tragedy is just bodies and numbers and nothing more. You mentioned DiCaprio and De Niro, who are two of the most famous actors of now, of our time. Um, We spend a lot of time with them. Do they do what we usually expect from DiCaprio and De Niro? I mean, no one's denying their massive talent, um, but they spend the three and a half hours of this movie just kind of meandering around. There are some, some great ideas toward the end. I like the, the final act of the film. Since this is a historical story, there's not much to spoil here, especially if so many people have read the book. Uh, but at the end of the movie, it kind of zooms out for a bit, and the story is told through the perspective of a stage play for about the last five minutes, as if the whole thing had been a stage play the whole time, like a radio drama recorded in the 20s. Mm. You have an orchestra on stage, people doing sound effects, and and I thought that was that was fascinating. I kind of wish the whole movie had been done like that, cutting back and forth between this this radio play and, and watching Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro wander around for three and a half hours in rural Oklahoma. But we didn't get that till the very end. But again, everybody's entitled to their own opinion that's Last I checked, this movie has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, so clearly I am in the minority camp. All right, Killers of the Flower Moon in theaters now. Next time we talk, what are we going to talk about? Next week, I will review with you a movie called Pain Hustlers, coming to Netflix, starring Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. Does this, just going off the title, does it have anything to do with the opioid crisis? It does. It has... uh, 
all about selling drugs to people and getting people hooked on opioids. <laughs> Tough Not material. Not very uplifting. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Courtney Lanning, thank you as always. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Kyle, looking forward to it. In the background is Cannonball Adderley along with Bill Evans doing Who Cares? And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this week's edition of the program, we will hear more from Cannonball as well as Ray Anderson, Tierney Sutton, Dave Holland, Carla Blay, and much more. That's Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz tonight, beginning at 10 on 91.3 KUAF. Then tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. You can listen to KUAF 3 on your HD radio by streaming it at KUAF.com or by asking your smart speaker, please play KUAF 3. Monday on Ozarks at Large, student loan payments have started back. What's the best way to prepare? One thing I really work on is is trying to help people put it in perspective so that just doesn't consume all of their thoughts. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth walks us through the logistics of preparing, financially and emotionally, to repay those loans. That's on Monday's Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville, which is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Earlier this week... I had the three educators in the Furman Garner Performance Studio who are going to lead next semester's U of A Honors College Seminar about Ozark's culture. I promised at the end of that conversation we'd hear more today because we had run out of time that day on Tuesday. Guess what? I've run out of time again. I promise we're going to hear what I want you to hear from the rest of that conversation next week on Ozarks at Large. Not the worst thing in the world that there's so much happening that we're running out of time on the show. Helping us run out of time on the show today, the contributors to the program, including Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics, Jack Travis, the hardworking news staff at Little Rock Public Radio KUAR, Becca Martin-Brown, the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and our favorite movie critic, Courtney Lanning. We're going to be back with you Monday for a brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Those of you in Northwest Arkansas, come back and meet me Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend. Ozarks at Large. And again, thanks to everybody who supports public radio, KUAF, KUAR, Little Rock Public Radio, and Ozarks at Large. We couldn't do it without you. I'm Kyle Kellums. Have a great weekend. Support comes from Carmelita's Modern Mexican Cuisine at 7022 West Sunset Avenue, Suite 5 in Springdale. Serving authentic Northern Mexican and Southern California lunch from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., Modern Mexican dinner 5 to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. More at carmelitasnwa.com. Walton Arts Center presents The Capital Fools October 26th as part of its LOL at WAC comedy series. It features former members of the Capitol Steps who were all once Senate staffers. It's an insider's perspective on our current political culture. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org.